primary care physicians have an active role in the care of diabetes, from optimizing medical treatment and coordinating care with specialists to counseling patients on nutrition. Why should nutrition be a high priority for this chronic disease? And how can we counsel our patients on the importance of nutrition in diabetes during a brief office visit? You're listening to ReachMD.com, XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Diabetes. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu, practicing general pediatrician and author. Our guest is Dr. Jill Grimes, a practicing board-certified family physician and author in Austin, Texas, and an associate editor for the 5-Minute Clinical Consult textbook. Welcome, Dr. Grimes. Thank you for having me. Physicians are so pressed for time during our office visit. Why is nutrition such a priority for our patients with diabetes? Well, ultimately, as I think most of the physicians know, it's the weight gain that creates the insulin resistance and subsequently the adult onset diabetes to begin with. And so even though we can give medicines to improve the blood sugars and outcomes in diabetes, the real answer is weight loss. And what do you see as a physician's role in nutrition counseling? Well, it's not our job to provide intensive or completely comprehensive dietary counseling. What our job is, is to prioritize it. Physicians really need to make it clear that weight loss is the true answer to diabetes and that the medicines are more of a Band-Aid to fix the blood sugars and prevent morbidity associated with diabetes while the patient is working at their weight loss. I feel like if we don't prioritize the weight loss, neither will the patient. Now, how can you squeeze all this into a a quick, often 15-minute office visit? Well, that's a great question. Again, we don't have time to do comprehensive counseling. But with just a couple quick tools that really your staff can help you implement, you can see a lot of really great results. The two main tools that I use are, number one, making sure that a BMI, a body mass index, is part of the routine vital signs. And the second thing I do is a 24-hour dietary recall. Well, let's talk first about the body mass index. For physicians who aren't familiar with that, how do you determine the body mass index? In a practical standpoint, the way you're going to determine it is just find the patient's height and weight. And I think as long as the adult patient has been in your office within the last year, it's fine to just use that height. But you want to get an accurate height and weight, and you look at a chart. And it will actually spell it out for you is color-coded red, yellow, and green, with red being patients who fall into the obese category, yellow being overweight, and green being normal. For those people who want to know specifically how it's calculated, it's actually the patient's weight in kilograms divided by their height in meters squared, or in the English system, it's their weight in pounds divided by their height in inches squared multiplied times 703. Now, are there also other tools such as computerized BMI measurement or wheels, things like that, that might make the calculation a little bit quicker for for physicians? Again, I think this is something that your staff member who's rooming the patient, all they really need to do is get the height and weight and look at a graph and plot it out to get it. There are absolutely calculators. There's one on cdc.gov on their website that you can punch it in to get the same number, but I think it's quicker just to have a chart right next to your scale as the patient's coming in. So what do you do if you've determined that the body mass index shows that a patient is overweight or obese? Well, if the BMI determines that the patient is overweight and they have two or more risk factors, or if their BMI shows that they fall into the obesity category, then that is the indication to advise weight loss. For physicians who feel a little bit timid about approaching weight loss, particularly if they're overweight themselves, 
it's helpful to have that set of criteria. So again, if you're overweight and have two or more risk factors or if you fall into the obese category, that's when we are supposed to recommend that people work on weight loss. And what do you consider these risk factors to be? The risk factors include hypertension, elevated LDL levels or low HDL levels, high triglycerides, high glucose, or a family history of premature heart disease, tobacco use, or physical inactivity. So now that covers BMI as part of the information gathering during the visit. What about getting a nutrition history from your patient? I find this to be probably the most revealing thing that you can do. Again, the person rooming the patient can do this for you. I think it's particularly helpful if you're running behind seeing patients because it can take a little bit of time with the patient. But all the nurse or medical assistant needs to say is, okay, please tell me everything you ate yesterday starting with breakfast. And I'll tell you, inevitably, this is met with, oh, not yesterday, it was my birthday, or we had a party at work, or, oh, we ran around to soccer and dance classes, and we had fast food, and I just tell them, no, it's okay, just I want to know yesterday, because every week has a bad day like that. And then you get the patient just to go backwards and tell you, starting with breakfast, what they ate all during the day. And you do not need to be a dietitian to be able to interpret this. I look for just a few simple things. The first thing I look for is I count their servings of fruits and vegetables. A serving is what you can hold in your hand. So a large salad, for example, might be three or four servings. But basically, you're looking for five to ten servings of fruits and vegetables per day. The second thing I look at is if there's any skipped meals. Of course, it slows your metabolism down if you skip meals, so you want to comment on that. And with diabetics, it messes up their blood sugars. Additionally, you can look at, are they eating out? You know, was it that they drove through Starbucks for breakfast and McDonald's for lunch? It is almost impossible to lose weight if you're eating out regularly. So once you get this nutrition history, should the physician be estimating the number of calories the patient's taking in, or do you get somebody to help you with that? And then what do you do with that information to help a patient lose some weight if needed? I think that that is fine to leave that counseling up to the dietitian. It takes a deficit of 500 calories per day to lose one pound per week. So one pound per week weight loss is actually very good. But patients hear all these ads, lose 30 pounds in 30 days. They think that they should have lost some tremendous amount of weight in a short period of one month. And they get discouraged if they don't understand that that is not going to happen. Weight loss that occurs that rapidly, if someone says they lost five pounds in two days, we all know that that's water weight loss and it's going to come right back. So I think it's really important to set realistic goals and explain to patients that, listen, you know, you can, there's 52 weeks in a year. You can lose 50 pounds in a year if you're looking at a patient that is 50 or 70 pounds overweight. So it's still a great deal of weight loss that can happen, but they need to understand the time frame. If you've just joined us, you're listening to a special segment, Focus on Diabetes, on ReachMD.com, XM160. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu. Our guest is Dr. Jill Grimes, practicing family physician and author and associate editor for the 5-Minute Clinical Consult textbook. We're discussing nutrition concerns for our patients with diabetes. Let's talk a little bit about carbohydrates. A lot of patients may try to avoid carbohydrates in foods like fruits and vegetables because they're trying to avoid carbs in general for their illness. What do you say about this? Well, I see this every day. Many diabetic patients tell me that they wouldn't touch a carrot with a 10-foot pole because they know that's going to shoot their blood sugars way up high. And basically, I just give them a reality check. I try and look people in the eye and say, listen, we know that no one is overweight from eating too many fruits and vegetables. All of us know this. 
but you get so caught up in glycemic index, which has been a very popular thing in diets over the past several years, and they start getting the message that all fruits are bad or that they should never have a fruit smoothie, that they should avoid carrots at all costs, and they're robbing themselves of precious nutrients and really good foods. So I try and debunk that myth and explain to them that I still want them to get their 5 to 10 servings a day of fruits and vegetables. Fruits are not evil. They are good for you. Is it maybe helpful to talk about carbohydrates in terms of simple sugars versus complex carbohydrates because they're broken down differently and maybe to avoid the simple ones like sucrose, glucose, high fructose corn syrup, that kind of thing? Well, I do think that it is helpful to explain that. I find more success, though, in emphasizing what people can eat more of than in focusing on what they need to restrict. I think that when you start telling people that they need to avoid the complex carbohydrates, breads and cookies and other starches, white rice, things like that, I think that's valid, but I have had much less success in terms of helping patients lose weight following the restrictive approach. I think really pushing more that you've got to get in all these fruits and vegetables, what happens is they fill up on the fruits and vegetables and they automatically eat less of the others. The Atkins diet is kind of a classic example of that, even though it focuses on fats and protein. People are full on that diet, and it's not the fact that they gave up the baked potato. It's the fact that they gave up the baked potato that was loaded with sour cream and cheese and bacon and everything else. So they're getting less calories in because they're filling up. Now, I would imagine that one benefit of eating more fruits and vegetables would also be getting more fiber in the diet. How does fiber impact patients with diabetes? Absolutely. Well, most diabetics also have problems with hyperlipidemia, and fiber is sort of the wonder nutrient. I have yet to have a patient not lose weight if they were overweight to begin with if they were following a high-fiber diet. And a high-fiber diet is basically anything over 20 grams of fiber per day. Fiber, we all know, makes your bowels move faster, and as that food is traveling through you faster, you're absorbing less of the fats, and so this is helping lower your lipids. The eating the five to ten servings of fruits and vegetables right there is going to give you anywhere from 10 to possibly even up to 20 grams of fiber. So if you're focusing on those more fruits and vegetables, you are having a high fiber diet. And then you can do other little tricks to increase your fiber, such as finding a high fiber cereal that you enjoy or something along the lines of Bran Buds, which is a very high fiber cereal with about 14 grams of fiber in a third of a cup. But you can take that and sprinkle it on yogurt for a snack or toss that into your salads instead of croutons and really beef up that fiber. Now, how should physicians counsel patients about special occasion eating? You talked about parties or other events. How does that affect a diet? Well, if a special event is really a special event and it's a once a month, excuse me, not once a month, once a year birthday, but those special events are only coming up about once a month, then that's fine. One day of eating more or less whatever you want is not going to blow it for the whole month. What I see being a bigger problem, though, is that today it's your birthday, next week it's your co-workers, and then it's your kid's little league game and you're bringing the snacks, and special occasions end up being something that's four or five times a week, and you're just going to be working against yourself because you're always going to be getting excess calories. At what point would you suggest that physicians refer patients to a registered dietitian or someone who specializes in diabetes nutrition? Well, this is a very simple question because my answer is absolutely any time that a patient is willing to go. 
I will always defer to a registered dietitian, someone who has a master's in nutrition. They can spend, you know, an hour with the patient one-on-one going through that individual patient's likes and dislikes and really fine-tune all the knowledge that they need to have. And, and dietitians can help make grocery lists and give them recipes and just give them a wealth of information. So I really do try and encourage patients, especially diabetics, to have at least one visit with a dietitian. Most insurance companies will cover either a one-on-one dietary counseling or a diabetic class where they're taught nutrition. And I think that that's tremendously helpful for the patient. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Jill Grimes. We've been discussing nutrition concerns for our patients with diabetes. I'm Dr. Jennifer Shu. You've been listening to a special segment, Focus on Diabetes, on ReachMD.com, XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at ReachMD.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. And thank you for listening.